want you to grab your Bible there with you and um, open up your Bible. If you would open up your Bible, please. And go with me to the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. And there's a word on my heart that I want to share. I feel God has placed this word on my heart. If you go with me to the book of Haggai chapter 1. And we're going to read from verses 2 all the way to verses 9. I mean verse 8. So 2 through 8. Again, that's Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And when you have that, just say amen. Amen. Look what the word of God reads to us. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. But thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Again, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Can we all agree that at times our excuses can be a little excessive? Can we agree that at times our excuses are a bit exaggerated? That at times our excuses can be a little extra? You know, that at times our, our excuses can be played out and repetitive. You know, I, I believe that many times we make excuses that are disproportionate, but also excuses that are asymmetrical. They revolve around ourselves. Amen? And so now I believe, church, understand this. Don't get offended with me. But I believe that not everything can work out in our lives. There's going to be some things that uh, we would love to attend. There's going to be some things that we would love to accomplish. There's going to be some things that we would love to do that we would love to be a part of. But respectively, we have to be excused. Just doesn't fit. Amen? And I have many times, church, declined the opportunity because it just doesn't simply fit my time frame. 
Sometimes I've declined doing some things because simply I'm not able to. Amen? But I have also learned that when we are passionate about something, when we are passionate about something, we squeeze it in. We make an effort. We make time. We go out of our way to make it happen. I love to preach. I love to minister. And in the ministry, there were pastors that said, you know, to us, be with us this Sunday. They knew that I was preaching at a church uh, that Sunday morning where I was at. And they would call me a couple weeks before and they would say, hey, pastor, I know you're going to be at this church this Sunday morning at this time. We don't have our service until 1230. Would you please be with us? I said, well, service starts at 10. He said, yes, we'll, we'll prolong worship just so that we'll give you enough time to make it. And I would make the time. They would start worship. And as I was preaching, I would finish and finish service. And right from that point, I would get in my vehicle. And then I would drive 30, 45 minutes to the next city. Make it to the next church. Get off. And literally, right when I got off the car, I got to the church and I got off the car. It was grabbing my Bible and grabbing my iPad and going straight up to the pulpit to preach. I did this for years. Meeting the needs. Why? Because I was passionate about touching people. I was passionate about uh, impacting people's hearts. There was times where you guys probably didn't see it, but I was preaching in Medford, Oregon, and I'd be driving all night just to be here to preach Sunday morning. There was times where I was preaching Sacramento on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and, and I was here Sunday morning. I had to leave the hotel Sunday morning and make it here. Just last month, being in Ogden, Utah, you know, preaching Friday and Saturday, I had to catch my flight at 5 in the morning to be here to preach for y'all on Sunday morning in May. I love to minister. I love to meet the need of the body of Christ. I'm passionate about it. But there have been many times where I have not been able to. I have to respectfully decline because it does not meet the time frame. And in those times, I'm cringing because I love to do it. And if I could, if I had a jet to fly 30 minutes, you know, to cut three and a half hours of, of, of driving, I would do it. Hallelujah. Amen? I would do it. Why? Because I am passionate about what I am doing. I'm passionate about preaching. I'm passionate, passionate about ministering to the people of God. Why? Because God has given me a task and an opportunity to serve Him. We do what we can to Complete the task and the opportunity to serve the Lord. It is a privilege that God has given us to be able to attend to the flock. Now aside from the effort in the things of God, you're saying, well, pastor, you know, you're, only, you're telling me the effort that you have is only for the things of God. No. There are some things that uh, deal with my earthly affairs that I'm passionate about as well. You know, they're standing in line for a discount. Let's be real. Standing in line for a discount, you know, or the ability. I've stood in line at Best Buy because they only have a limited quantity of a certain iPad that I'm ready to get. You know, and I'm there and standing in line for a limited quantity of something. You know, or the ability, you know, to uh, 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 purchase something that, that might not have a lot of. I might have to wait if, if it all gets purchased up. I can't wait for Black Friday this year. Because I'm going to see a lot of church folk 
that have made excuses all year to committing to the things of the Lord. You're getting mad at me now, and I'm glad. I'm happy. Because if it doesn't sting, then that means I'm not touching a true place in your life. Amen? But just understand, I can't wait for the fair, big Fresno fair. It's going to be hot for summer nights, but there you are. For other things, in the heat, sweating profusively, right? Losing weight while you're walking. You ain't complaining, right? But when it comes to the things of the Lord, oh, we got 101 excuses. When it comes to building the things of the Lord in our lives, we make a lot of excuses. I don't got that much nail. How many times in the world you didn't have enough of something, but yet you still did it because you I got to get it done. I got to have it. You know, you know we, we have to start learning how to commit to spiritual investment in our lives. Your relationship with God needs to be a priority. You know, when, when all of these things start to happen, I can't wait to see people in five-hour lines. Overnight lines, crowded stores, running and jumping. I hope you're not socking anybody for a flat screen TV this year. But some say, man, I can't wait to get back to normal. Yes, the normality of how cold you are in your spiritual life. How do we want to get back to the normality of how distant we were from the Lord? Why do we want to get back to the normality of how we did not listen to God's voice? We were not sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to get back to a cold relationship with God? Let me give you a question today, and it is this. Do you think God accepts excuses? Truly. He that is, if you didn't know, I will just... Just repeat it to you, but just in case you didn't know. He that is omniscient. He that is omnipresent. He that is omnipotent. Do you think that excuses are valid with God? He that knows all things before you do it. He that has designed for things to take place. Not based on if you'll like it or not like it, but because it is His pleasure and His will for your life. Do you think that God accepts excuses? You see, if I invite you to something and you give me an excuse, I have to understand because I didn't make the plans based on you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? But when God makes his plan, he makes his plan based on you. Amen? He does things because it is his pleasure revealed and manifested in each and every one of your lives individually. So when we give God excuses, what we're saying is that God's plan for everyone is universal. It is individual. Understand this. It is individual. What Christ did on the cross is universal. It's for all who would come to believe. But the plan and the will that God has given you to do what you're going to do, it is individual. And some of us were making excuses as if our plan is the same plan the brother and I, you know, I just, I got to regretfully decline. No, there is no regretfully declining with God. You are either going to obey God or you're not going to obey God. Amen? 
And so the book of Haggai, just to give you a, 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 just a history of this, it deals with the excuses of man when God gives a task. You know, and the book of Haggai was written around 520 B.C. 520 B.C., 18 years before the people of Israel had been released from captivity from the Babylonians. You know, uh, 538 B.C., they were in captivity and the Babylonians were overtaken by King Cyrus. And King Cyrus made a decree because he believed in temple worship. He believed in culture. He believed in peoplehood. And so he made a decree and he said, let the Jews go back to Judea. Let the Jews go back to Jerusalem and restore. First of all, we read it in Ezra and in also in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, how they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Then after the walls of Jerusalem, God had instructed the people the, and given them the ability to reconstruct and rebuild the temple. Now I want to just give you some history. From 538 when they were released to 520 when uh, uh, Haggai gave this word. God had given him word in 520 B.C. They had wasted 18 years without touching the temple. 18 years. Do you know what happens in 18 years? A child is born and becomes an adult. You ain't understanding what I'm saying. So I want to just get you to understand that time matters with God. Time does matter with God. And so from 538 to 520, 18 years of life being free and not rebuilding the temple. Let me ask you a question. When are you going to start rebuilding what God has called you to rebuild? You're giving excuses. You're procrastinating. And you're saying, one day I will do it. One day I will get to it. One day I will be obedient here. One day and God is saying, it's no more time for excuses. You got to start getting this stuff done. Amen? Amen? And so why is time frame important? Because Haggai writes that he didn't come to them seeing them work on the temple. He got there rather 18 years later seeing them make excuses after excuses after excuses after excuses. And when he said, what happened to the temple? We have been free for 18 years. What has gone with what God asked us to do? And they're saying, we don't have any wood. We don't have any workers. We don't have any uh, resources. We don't have any time. And, and, you know, and, and Haggai began to look at their houses and he said, but you got time for a new TV. You got time for new couches. You got time for a new car. You got time for a house. You, you know, you're, now you're getting angry at me and that's okay. You got time for Netflix. You got time for you know, uh, HBO Max. You got time for Costco. You got time for Target. You got time for vacation, but you ain't got time for me. You don't got time for prayer. You don't got time for my word. You don't got time for my presence. You got time for friends. You got time for Friday night restaurant. You got time for the park. You got time for this. You got time for that. You got time to shop. You got time to put on clothes and dress. You got time to paint your little uñas. You got time to do your hair. You got time to barbecue, but you ain't got time for God. Look at this. Woo, man, I love your faces right now. I love it. I love it. Yes. Haggai said, hey, you know, no, no, don't make excuses. Don't tell me you don't have time. It's because we don't got, to, it's not the, 
No, 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 no. Don't tell me it's not the right time. Because how can everything else in your life be functioning, but your relationship is still in ruins? How can your house look beautiful, but your temple look ugly? How, how, how can your house be furnished, but your spiritual life is, life is still unfurnished? The thing is that the people of God think that it's time for us to be putting our houses before the temple. And you're saying, well, what are you saying, Pastor? Are you saying that, you know, we got to be working here at Step of Faith Church all the time? No, 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 no. God is trying to teach us a message. You'll either focus on the houses, things of your life, the earthly things, or you'll start worrying about the temple, which you are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we got our minds on the affairs of things that are meaningless. Meaningless things. Meaningless things. How long are you going to waste? Let me say this. As long as you are focused on yourself, what God is asking you to do will always come last. It will always come last. It will always come last. It will always come last. You're bad at your time. Man, God, why can't I just put you first? Because as long as you put yourself first, God will always be last. Always. And Haggai teaches here that when building gets tough in the work of God, people will abandon. People abandon. People abandon when things get tough. People abandon when things get tough. They begin to make excuses. They begin to say it's not the right time. But when it comes to their own plans, their own goals, and their own reaches, it suffers no interruptions. When it comes to their own plans, it doesn't uh, give in to the threats of seizing for the accomplishment. You know, people get in debt to have what they have. Are we in agreement? People get into debt to have what they have. They will borrow more than what they have and what they can pay back to get what they have. They will work tirelessly to achieve what they have. They will yard sale for a whole month in June, but not go to summer nights. Be out in the heat by 5 in the morning, yard sale, to get what they want. But when it comes to that, I'm tired, it's too early. It's, it, it hurts because you know it's the truth. We don't make excuses about our own endeavors, but when it comes to what we want, you know, uh, uh, for God, when God wants from us, we, we start coming out with 101 excuses. We do crazy stuff to get what we want. We will work overtime. We become stingy. We will eat beans and rice. And call it Jesus Christ. But then we complain about the things of God. You know, let me say this. People that do whatever they can do to have what they have, but have poor relationship with God, you know, they, when God has called them to fulfill something, they begin to turn into the people of Israel, like in Haggai's day, saying, it's not the right time. Well, after 18 years, you got to, the, the question begs, you know, it, it, it does beg to, you know, ask this question. Then when is it the right time? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 declares, he who observes the wind will not sow. 
and he who regards the clouds will not reap. There are Christians that live life like this. Where's, which way is the wind blowing? Oh, it's not the right time. It'll never be the The wind is never going to blow in your direction. Here we are. Looking at way, which way the guile is going to turn, which way the wind is blowing the guile. Oh, it's not the right time. It'll never be the right time to pray. Just, I want to just burst your bow. It'll never be the right time to read the word. It'll never be the right time to come to church. There will always be something going wrong on Sunday morning. Nothing goes right on Sunday morning. Nothing. This morning we were trying to find shoes. We were tearing up the whole house trying to find shoes. Because Levi likes to put them in his backpack and walk around. He has like 30 backpacks. So there we are opening up all 30 backpacks. <laughs> Nothing goes right on Sunday morning. But, but guess what? You know, these things that we complain about, they're small things. Small things. And it interrupts our fidelity to God. It interrupts our loyalty to the Lord. It interrupts our commitment to the faith. It interrupts our calling. It interrupts everything about us, our ministry. You know, the anointing that God has placed over us. We got 101 excuses not to read, not to pray, not to congregate, you know, not to be a part of the community of God. We got every excuse not to be spiritually active. We got every excuse. But when it comes to the things of the world, we don't got no excuses. We nullify every excuse. To get the new car, they'll say, uh, we weren't able to give you a 3.5. Well, what were you able to give me? A 10.5. You know what? It has to be God. It has to be God. Well, I guess a 10.5%, then I guess it's going to be a 10.5%. But in the things of the Lord, we, we, if we feel like 1% goes up, no, it's not God. It's not the right time. It's not the right time, right? We got to wait. Y'all know how to suffer in the world, but you don't know how to suffer for God. We, we, we know how to suffer in the things that... You knew how to eat when you were clinging to drugs and alcohol and away from the Lord. We, we grinded. You were in tranzas all day figuring out how to get what you wanted. I mean, you cheated the system. But in the things of the Lord, we, 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 we have, we've lost our ideas. I don't know what to do. I, I just, uh, uh, uh. When you're passionate about something, you make it happen. You squeeze it in. And so the, the, you're, you're stressing right now because the question is arising in your heart. Is God first? That's what you're thinking. Is God first? Is he truly first? Haggai teaches here a simple principle. What is more important to you? The house or the temple? And not just because opposition is encountered in the work of God. God does it constitute that God has not called you to complete the task. Many things that God has called many mighty people to accomplish came with great opposition. If you see Nehemiah on the walls of Jerusalem, the opposition was terrifying. 
When you see David and Goliath, he was a puny little kid against a big old giant. And yet God had called him to do something and he obeyed God. Do you remember Gideon with nearly 30,000 men and God brought him down to 300 men against over 200, hundreds of thousands of, against an army? When God gives you a task, it's never easy. When God tells you to do something, it'll never be easy. But just the same way that you are willing to get the things of this earth, you are passionate about stuff. Maybe you're passionate about working on a car. Maybe you're passionate about, you know, something that just interests your heart. But above all things, your passion needs to be in Christ. Why is it that we meet our earthly goals faster than our spiritual goals? Why is it that we invest more into what we want rather than who we are? Haggai simply begins with an exhortation. Consider your ways. What does he mean by this? I believe simply he was stating, do you really think that excuses are valid with God? You know, what is God's lesson for us this morning? Write this down. Number one is this. What kind of people are you? What kind of people are you? Verse two. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, these people. Who did he say? These people. These people say the time has yet not come to reveal the house of the Lord. I want you to notice the Lord calls them these people. He didn't call them my people. He called them these people. Normally he calls them my people, right? My people have sinned and we've seen this. My people have sinned. My people have transgressed against me, right? He said my people, but here he calls them these people. And, and it, it expresses that God is displeased with his people. Why? Well, for one, because they're acting like unlike his people. But the Lord calls them out on their empty righteousness, saying that they are not rebuilding the temple because it is obvious God does not want them to. They're saying, it's obvious. If it's hard, God doesn't want us to rebuild the temple. It's too hard. If, if it were God, it would be easy. How many times have we believed that? If it were God, it would be easier. Everything would be provided. Everything would be free. Everything would fit perfectly. The fact that God had delivered them from captivity and allowed them to return home, to rebuild, to restore themselves, then after that they say, it's too hard. What kind of people are you? You don't sound like God's people sometimes. You know, hard was when you were behind on your bills, but God, you know, gave you the power and the ability to manage. Hard was when you couldn't shake that addiction, barely getting out, dying, and God delivered you. Hard was when you were in the dead of your sin, but his son, the cross and the blood. Come on, somebody, bless the name of the Lord. Hard was when you didn't make a way for yourself. You didn't know how you had hungry children. I, I think about, you know, Brother Raul and Sister Alicia, they telling the testimony of when, you know, they were in the mess that they were in, you know, going from home to home, carrying your children around. Hard was then. Hard was then. We got it made right now. We got it made, but we make excuses out of nothing. Make excuses out of nothing. I want you to just think of the most grindive time of your life. I made up a word, grindive time. You know how I love making up words. Just think of the most grinding time of your life. You were grinding it to pay off that thing or to get that or to do that or to think of how hard you grind it. And now, Think of how good you have it in the Lord and how many times you make excuses. You got it made with God. 
you have it made with God. Serving the Lord, you got it made. You got it made. You got it made. We have had harder times in our worldly life living apart from God. We made a way. All that God has done for you, the healing, the provision, His grace to overcome Him. And with everything, we give excuses to God. I mean, just let me say this. God didn't take you out of captivity to chill. God took you out of your captivity to do His will. God didn't take you out of captivity so you say, oh, it's time to relax. God took you out of your mess so you can serve Him. So you can tell people of how good He is. So you can express to the world how gracious God is. That you were dead in your sin. You were dead in your tracks. Yet God's grace lifted you up. God took you out of your mess so you can say, AA couldn't do it. Prison couldn't do it. Friends couldn't do it. Money couldn't do it. You know, family couldn't do it. But God did it. God rose me up. God saved me. God took me out of that. God changed my life. Yes, I was headed nowhere. Yes, I was headed to destruction. I was dead already. I was in the bed. Nobody wanted to help me up. But yet God, come on somebody, but yet God, 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 God came. He lifted me up, put life back into me, and is showing the devil what he can do with what he throws away. He's showing the devil that he recycles and he restores. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Give the Lord a glory clap this morning. Hallelujah. The problem with the people of God is that they learned how to be slaves. They didn't know how to be free. And in the world we have learned how to be slaves. And now free in His grace. Having the options we do not live for His glory. When you need freedom from addiction, when you need freedom from something, we come to God and then God sets us free. And in the freedom, we're, look at this, we are supposed to come back like the grateful, you know, uh, uh, out of the ten lepers, we're supposed to come back to the Lord. But in our own will, we don't know how to submit to God. We're so used to being slaves that we need somebody to tell us, wake up, eat, clean. We like being in prison. You know what the hardest thing is? Being free. Because in that freedom, you got choices to make now. Nobody's going to say, don't do that. That's why, you know, they, people in the prison, they're, they're there. They got somebody breathing down their neck. Clean your bed. Eat. Lights out. They make choices for you. But when now you're free, you get to wake up in the morning anytime you want. <laughs> get out, you get to wake up at any time. You get to eat whatever you want now. Right? I was waiting for the amen, bro. You get to, you get to eat. Did you get to choose the temperature? What about the beds? Manos. Right? Oh, what about the sheets? What sheets? Look at that. Cucarachas, did you have raid to spray? Nothing, right? Spider bites? Bugs? We would rather live bound like that sometimes 
being told what to do at all the time. And when God sets us free, we don't know how to live. What do I do now? What do I do? God told me what to do, I, to live a spiritual life. I, I pray, I read my word, I congregate, I'm part of a church community, I'm thinking on the things of the Lord, I'm, I'm active, I'm not going back, but we, we end up returning because we are not told what to do. In freedom, we don't feel the need. People retract because they're so used to a system. People retract because they're so used to slavery. People retract because they're so used to Babylon. People retract because they're so used to Egypt. Look at this. They're so used to Egypt. They don't know how to be in a grazing, in a field grazing and saying, you know, all of this is mine. And God is saying, you know what? We got to learn how to start coming back to him. We got to start learning how to seek God's will in our lives. We need to start learning how to give our hearts to him. Because if your day and your hours are left up to you, you are going to ruin them. Man. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 39, but we are not of those who shrink back. Amen. We are not of those that shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve those souls. Are you of those? Or are you these people? Are you really of those who have faith and preserve their souls? Haggai brings the light on the excuses here. Have you ever heard people say that they had given up trying to do something or that they did not go someplace or complete with something of the Lord's will because they said it's not the right time? You know, the Lord wanted me, have you ever heard the excuse? The Lord wanted me to do something else. It's not the right time. How does Haggai remove the band-aid that is being covered up by the people of God and the task of rebuilding the temple? Look at number two. Write this down. He called them out on their procrastination and said, your procrastination is the same as disobedience. Procrastinating is the same as disobedience. Say, thus saith the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has yet not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the Lord, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And he said, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins? How can your house look better than the temple? And these people who said it, it was not time of the Lord to build the house of, of God, but better their own houses. You know, the Lord is saying, when are you going to stop putting it off? When are you going to stop saying, I don't have any time when everything in your house, your life is working? You're not prioritizing God in your schedule. Everything in your life is working. Except your relationship with God. And Haggai was saying, look, this house lies in ruins, but your house is paneled. My house is in ruins, but your house has a ceiling. I can imagine that Haggai was saying, look, your house looks luxurious. Let's go to the temple. They go to the temple, there's not even a roof there. There's, no, there's nothing, there's no windows, nothing. it's just a square open roof. And Haggai begins to say, and you don't have any time? <laughs> you tell me you ain't got no time? 
me tell you something. People make an effort to accomplish many times what is to their advantage. When it is an advantage for you, you'll accomplish it. But when there's no advantage, you know, I don't want it. In Haggai's day, how in the world were the people able to build their lovely paneled homes? And surely they encountered difficulties. Amen? They did. But they were not willing to face the same difficulties to build the Lord's house. Their lame excuses, yeah, I said it, was it's just not the Lord's time right now for us to do that. How is not the Lord's will to get your home in order, church? How is it not the Lord's will uh, of timing to get the things in order in your marriage? How is it not the Lord's will and the right timing for the Lord, you know, to, to come to the Lord and get your temple in order? Your life, get it in order. Your heart, get it in order. The problem is you don't see the advantage in the things of the Lord. It's not worth it to you. Loss has interesting way of teaching us what is important. Loss has a way of teaching us what is important. When we begin to lose, we begin to figure out what's important. When doors begin to close up on us, then we start seeing what's important. When people start walking away from our lives, then we start seeing what's important. Let me say, saying you will do it, just not right now, is the same as being disobedient to God. In honesty, it gets weary hearing people give that excuse just so they don't have to do something for God. The Lord's will, church, the Lord's will is very rugged. Many times never smooth. The Lord's will is abandoning. It gets people to abandon you. But do not procrastinate. Don't put it off. Obey God. Obey God. Obey the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. With all of your strength. Love the Lord thy God. Do not make an excuse as to why you need to be obedient to God. I'm not asking you to be obedient. God is tugging on your heart for obedience. This ain't no man-made conviction. This is the Holy Spirit we're talking about. The Holy Spirit which tugs on the heart of man. God is saying, respond. Find the value in obeying God, church. Find the value in obeying God. And saying that you will do it sometime is the same as disobedience. Here is a question that will make a believer cringe. How much do you spend on yourself? And how much do you spend on God? I'm going to give you a little illustration here. You know, a brother in Christ invited another brother to eat. <laughs> I'm going to get you guys to laugh at this. But a brother in Christ invited another brother to go and eat. And the brother that invited took the other brother invited to an expensive steakhouse. And there they sat down and the, the brother told the other brother, hey, get whatever you want, it's on me. Ooh, man, that guy was like, beef wellington, filet mignon. Right? Shrimp. 
do you want the cheese and the sour cream? Yeah, put it on there, put it on. What about the bacon business? That's gonna be $2.99, put, put it on, put, put it on. That's all right, put it on. It's okay, he's, he's paying. He said, whatever I wanted, put it on. And so the brother, when after they're done eating, the tab comes, and the brother, no, 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 no fear, got it, put his card, signed, gave it, and then he pulls out his pocket and, and pulls out a big old tip and puts the tip on the table. Well, right after there, they were expecting to go to a church service, and they go to church, and they're sitting down, and my, the power of God came down in church. Such a sermon that convicted the hearts of people. They were both slain on the ground. They get up, go and sit back down, and, and then the church lifts up an offering. And the plate passes by, and the brother pulls out a dollar and puts a dollar in the plate. And the brother looked twice. He said, what's going on here? He said, man, he didn't even tip God. <laughs> he didn't even give God a tip. He told the brother, hey, a dollar? He said, I gave my tip, you know, to the waitress. And we say, many times we're giving our tip to the world. And we're giving God the leftover. We, we end up giving God the dollar. You say, Pastor, were you telling me to give money? No, 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 no. I'm talking about your heart. You give your heart to everybody except for God. You give your time to everything except for God. You give your feet hurry for things of the world, but they don't hurry for the things of God. You don't go to sleep when you're watching a movie at the Maya. Right? But in church... Ninety-seven point nine oldies, your station, Aitas. Right, but during worship, but in the things of the Lord, Hallelujah. I hope you all remember this message. And sometimes we give God the leftovers. God doesn't get first. He doesn't have first dips to our heart. He doesn't have first choice of our mind. He doesn't even have the first choice of our day. God needs to be first. In everything, God needs to be first. First. Not because of what He's going to give you, but because He saved you. Oh, if, if He's first, I'm going to get a brand new. No, 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 no. A brand new Nothing. If the Lord never gives you a brand new car, if He never gives you a brand new house, if He never gives you a brand new anything, will God still be first? Will God still be the first thought of your day? Will God still be the first thing of your life? Will God still be the most important thing? You better say yes, Pastor Why? Because He took me off of drugs. He took me off of alcohol. He took me away from prison. He took me away from this lifestyle. I was depressed. I wanted to give up. I wanted to commit suicide. But God came like the good Samaritan that He is and He lifted
picking me up when my friends abandoned me, when I didn't have no money, when nobody was helping me. God was there. God was there. God was there. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord this morning. God needs to be first. We got to stop saying it's not time. We got to start saying, yes, God, it's time. It's time that I get these things in order in my life. Number three, your fruit reveals your condition. Verse 5 and 6, and I'm almost done here. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so by putting them into a bag with holes. You know, you're living check to check. That must tell you something. You got everything you want, yet you're still not happy. Got a new job, you're still depressed. Got new friends, still feel insecure. Things don't change us. We're able to enjoy stuff, but they, they don't have the power to change us. And let me say that when God disciplines his children, it is for a reason. Amen? It's for a reason. There is a purpose in discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Stay with me, church. Just be patient with me. Look what it says. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. How many are sons and daughters? Raise your hand if you're sons and daughters. God is treating you as sons and daughters when he disciplines for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're not God's children. If God cannot discipline you, you are not his sons and daughters. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. I know some children that don't even get disciplined. But they still give the disrespect. And shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits? Look at this. And live. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. How many agree with me? But later... But later, but later, but later, the Bible says it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been what? Trained by correction. Trained by discipline. I tell you, there are some people that haven't learned their lesson. You haven't learned your lesson. God was being very clear with the people of uh, his people. He was saying, aren't the signs clear? They were not getting it. Let me give you some of the things that were, they were suffering. And they were saying, just my luck. <laughs> They're saying, oh, just my luck. God said, no, 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 don't call it luck. Open your eyes. See that the things are happening right now that the way they are because it is God disciplining his children. Look what he said. He, was, he began to tell them that the crop was failing. He told them that a famine was there. 
There was a drought. He said to them, you got little money to buy food and clothes? You don't got no savings no more? He was saying, you, you're putting, it feels like you're getting a check and putting it in a, in a pocket with holes. Here one day and gone the next, it's like, when am I going to, God is saying, isn't it clear enough that you are going through this suffering when in reality God's trying to get your attention that he's not first. He's not first. Now, I'm not going to stand here and, tell me, and say to tell me your whole life and what you're going through and me say if it's God disciplining you or if it's the enemy uh, 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 attacking your life. But one thing I will say is we are very conscious when we decide to do something, when we make decisions and there are consequences, you can't blame that on the devil. Sorry. You cannot blame that on the devil. Man, that's a hard piece of the message right you cannot blame it on the devil. There are some things you can't blame on the devil. There are some things you just got to blame on God. God is trying to get my attention. There are consequences with my wrong decisions. We make wrong decisions. Amen? We make wrong decisions and we have to pay the consequences. You ever heard a cop say, you do the crime, you, pay, you do the time. Do the crime and you do the time. Then we're crying, Lord, the devil. No, listen, ¿cuál diablo? What devil are you talking about? The devil, he's after my home. What do you mean he's after your home? Yeah, he's after my children. No. You didn't give him the word. And you knew what they were doing and you didn't bring it up. Lord, the devil is attacking my job. What do you mean the devil's attacking your job? Yeah, but they're going to let me go. They're going to fire me. That devil, man, that stinking devil. Man, he's a liar. No, you're a liar. You were stealing from the pot. You were dealing dishonestly. You were cheating the customers. You were coming in late. We want to blame everything on the devil. The devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. Sometimes things happen and God is saying, no, you. You're the issue. You need to surrender. You need to give your heart to me. You need to live for me. But we like to be hard-headed. Tercos. Be like that to your daddy. Be like that to your mama. Be like that to your family. Be like that to your friends. But when it comes to God, love God. Be real. Who, who else can you be real? If you can't even be real with God, you ain't going to be real with friends. You ain't going to be real with your family. You ain't going to be real with your spouse. If you can't even be real with God, who is the God of all spirits. Somebody say, He's God. If you can't be an open book to God, you won't be an open book to nobody, not even yourself. And the people of God were saying, it's just my luck. Don't. They were saying, all of these things are happening. What, things happen? No, 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 no. There's a reason why. You see, the one that's trying to avoid the will of God will always say, it's not God. No, it's not God. It's not God. 
Because when you blame it on the devil, you're playing the victim. But when you say it's God, the mirror comes out right back at you. You got to focus and look at your life. That's why he said multiple times, consider your ways. Consider your ways. These things are not happening for nothing. Consider your ways. Consider. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 declares to us, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Amen. Man will always want to ignore the signs, but look what Isaiah 55, 7 through 9 tells us. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He told them many times, consider your ways. How did he want them to consider their ways? Number four, he told them to go up to the hill, get wood, and build the house. I'm going to tell you how you can consider your ways. You're asked a question this morning to the Lord. Lord, how can I consider my ways? You can consider your ways by going up to the mountain, getting wood, and building the house of the Lord. How do I put this in so that you would understand the spiritual message behind this? Get up to an elevated place with God. Get the resources that He gives you and don't squander it on yourself. Build the temple. They were saying, we don't got any resources, but did you know that most likely where they got the wood was the same place where God had sent them up to go and get wood to build the house. They were just squandering and using what God had given them, not so that they would obey His will, but they thought that God had given it so that their houses would be first and God's temple would be second. And I will always say this, before God blesses you, your heart needs to get right. God will never bless you before your heart gets right. God will ask you to get your heart right. And in your heart being right, He will bless you. He will bless you. We ask God, God bless me and then I'll serve you. No, no, no. Serve me and then I'll bless you. Lord, you know, do this in my life and I promise. I'll... No, 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 no. Promise me you'll do it. And then you'll see it come to fruition. You'll see the blessing of God invade your life, invade your home, invade your family, invade your children. Seek ye first the righteousness of God. His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things shall be added unto you. Blessing does not get our heart right with God. How many, times we, how many times do we have to go through that? Blessing does not teach us how to live right for God. It never will teach us how to live right for God. We need to be surrendered first. And then see the goodness of God to us. Where's God asking you to get right? Where's God asking you to build the temple? And you're saying, Pastor, again, you say, do we need to go to the church and be here all the time? No, you are the temple of God. But the earthly affairs of your life 
are functioning, but your spiritual relationship with God is suffering. God doesn't want that in your life anymore. We have more fun. We have more satisfaction in the things of the world and in the things of the Lord. It's suffering. Look at that. My iPad's off. Good thing it's here. Man, I don't need my iPad on. It's right here. God needs to be first. You know, it's a good sign that God is struggling to be first in your life. When you come to the house of the Lord and you're more guilty, you feel more guilty than you do with praise. We come with more lament on our spirit than we do with resounding praise. God needs to change something in your life because we, when we come to the house of the Lord, we come to the presence of God. Becoming mentful, convicted. Come to the house of the Lord, you feel convicted because you know your relationship is suffering with God. Have you ever come into the house of the Lord and you're saying, man, I, I, I need God. But I'm doing all that I need to do right now to have my life on track with the Lord. Your attitude coming into the presence of the Lord is way different. But when you come in knowing that your relationship is suffering with God, you come in with lament. Oh God, I'm sorry. When are you going to get tired of living your Christian life like that? The Christian life is not supposed to be of depression and condemnation. Always feeling like, like if God is looking down on you like this. No, the devil makes you feel like God looking down on you like that. God wants you to be set free. And that spirit of condemnation, that spirit of religiosity, that spirit of law, lack of grace, lack of love. Did you know that you can be obedient to the Lord and grace you don't need letter you need the spirit you can be obedient to God just by loving him his presence boy have you ever felt so in love with his presence you just want to spend time there with him oh Lord I love you God I love you God you mean the world to me I love my kids I love my wife but God you mean everything to me job doesn't even get close to how much you mean to me my my things my material things don't even get close god you are everything to me you're everything everything because when i was down and out and nobody was there but you have always been there god you have always delivered my soul from death your countenance and your goodness has always been shining upon me. Your mercy has always been for me. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I feel that this word has enabled the Holy Spirit 
being obedient and bringing God's message this morning, I believe with all of my heart. There is a purpose as to why you are here this morning. There is a purpose as to why you are here this morning.